We have been in a series called Money Wisdom. That series is going to continue this morning and I'm going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you'd like to follow along, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and then Wayne's going to come and bring a teaching this morning. So Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, All slaves should show full respect for their masters so they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. If the masters are believers, that is no excuse for being disrespectful. Those slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well loved. Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt. They've turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness... With contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, you're a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith, Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die. He lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will, or honor and power to him forever. Amen. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. 
Thank you, Wayne. Thanks, Jason. That's great. Just a quick note. Um, for people who came expecting to see a much more attractive uh, person speaking this morning in Julie, uh, she's not well, so I've um, a last-minute substitution. Uh, and uh, so not tackling Habakkuk this morning. Uh, f- f- did not have... <laughs> didn't ever go up that one. Just keep going with this. So, hey, just a quick uh, recap because we, we're in this series. So in week one of this series, uh, quickly, we looked at the biblical foundations of money wisdom and we, we saw that there were six foundations and they form this tapestry that's a beautiful tapestry. They're all interconnected to one another. But everything that we teach about money is... and in everything else is primarily based and rooted on the the foundation of the grace of God that all of this is a response our response to God's grace that he's given us so we bring our lives and we offer them back as a response to his grace and in the second week we looked at the biblical pattern and we saw that that, that pattern has these four components that we give first to God then what happens Save, care for the poor, and then living costs and special offerings. Last week, Daniel spoke, brought a message about the eternal perspective, giving from an eternal perspective, understanding the reward and what's the renovations on our eternal home and the value that that, was, that is. And uh, he had some very creative images in his presentation. Uh, you're not getting any like that today. Um, Anyway, so, but, uh, and today I want to talk about true wealth, true wealth, and we're going to be diving into this passage uh, from Paul's letter to Timothy uh, that Jason has read to us. But um, uh, when our, our boys were growing up, uh, one of the holiday movies that, that uh, came around was the movie, The Story of Richie Rich. And uh, so this is back in 1994, for those of you that were alive in that time, um, but And the movie was all about the story of this boy, Richie, who is, uh, I mean, with a name called Richie Rich, how could you not be rich? Anyway, you, you get all through the movie, all the names are all play on this theme, actually. He's the richest boy in the world in terms of money, lives in this huge mansion, has everything money can buy, goes to an elite school with kids from a very wealthy family, but he has no real friends. But in his mansion, he does have a McDonald's. Um, store, their own private one. His dad runs this massive business empire and uh, his dad's 2IC, his second in command, turns out to be the evil protagonist in the movie and his name is Mr. Van Doe. Now Van Doe hatches a plot to kill his boss and take over the company, company and empty the vault to make himself the richest man in the world. How unusual would that be? Never heard of that happening before. So uh, what Van Doe knows is that on on the rich estate, they have their own version of Mount Richmore, which, of course, for those of you that aren't Americans, it's Mount Rushmore with a play on that, and they've got their faces chiseled into the side of the mountain, the family faces. So, uh, And in, in Mount Richmore, there is a vault, and so Van Doe wants to get, he knows that they keep what's most precious to them in the vault. And he wants to break into the vault. And so 
the movie climaxes with this scene and Vando finally breaks in. I won't tell you how all that happens. Um, and rushes into the vault, expecting to see this huge space laden with gold and jewels and just priceless arts and treasures of imaginable description, all for him now to enjoy. And what he finds is bitterly disappointing for him because the things that the rich family put in the family vault are all their family keepsakes, all the family photos, all the toys that Richie's grown out of and the things he used to wear and all, all of the things that bring back memories of joy for them as the family. And so this family, although they're wealthy, what they treasure and protect most is these things that tell the story of their family and their relationships with one another. So all that's to say... What's true wealth? And how much, how much money does someone need to have great wealth? Uh, I want to try to put this in a global perspective uh, because I find that really helpful. Uh, we, we live in a country and wherever we're at in terms of socioeconomic status, we either find ourselves, we find ourselves somewhere and we've either got people below us or people above us, but typically we're always uh, being pushed to go up. There's nothing wrong with going up in terms of increasing economic, uh, ec your economy, but it's about what you do in terms of that. But here's some glo global perspective. There's a website called givingwhatwecan.org and if you go to that website, you can actually put in your salaries and if you've got an annual income of $40,000 Australian, what you find is that you've got more money than 94.6% of the global population. Feel wealthy? You're in the top 6% of the world. If, you, if you're bringing in 40000 if you've got 90000 of annual income, you're in the top 99% of the global population. So... I, put, I find those numbers real sobering, don't they? Don't they just to help give such perspective to, to what we've got. And, and in our culture where we're like this pressure is always on more, 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 it just helps us to frame it and go, hang on a minute. And it helps us actually uh, close our circle of consumption, which when we follow the biblical pattern... We actually do that. We close our circle of consumption so that we can give more generously, so that we can manifest in our generosity the grace of God that we've received. Proverbs 21.20 says, um, A fool on their money is soon parted. How many of you have heard this proverb before? A few of you have. Proverbs 21 verse 20. A fool on their money is soon parted. And um, what that's saying is that some people are really easily separated from their money. And uh, throughout history, because that proverb was written thousands of years ago by Solomon, devious people have always created uh, clever and sophisticated scams to part people from their money. And some people fall for these. And I'm sure you've heard of them, some of the current ones uh, in our society in the moment. What's one of the scams you have maybe not fallen victim to, but that you know goes around in our society? Well, there's probably a long list. 
There's the, who's heard of the iTunes card scam? You get the, you know, all that, yeah. Uh, emails with false links that when you click on the link, suddenly your computer freezes and you've now got to pay a ransom to get your computer released from being a hostage. Uh, how many of you get calls from places? Uh, I, I got a couple of calls this week. One was from Mexico, one was from Sri Lanka. I didn't answer them because I thought, well, not sure my friends are travelling at the moment. Um, you get these unsolicited emails around, going around, and we, we even get them coming into the to the church inbox as well uh, from from people we've never heard of. Very cleverly worded, they become more and more sophisticated. It's like they're sitting in and listening to our services and working out what words to put in the email. So if you're watching today, welcome. It's great to have you. We hope your life will be transformed by submitting it to Jesus. Um, because what we found is over the, over the years that this has been happening, now they're putting Bible verses into them and they're offering all sorts of global ministry opportunities to expand our, our influence and disciple making around the world. It's very tempting, very tempting for some people, not, not for us, though we're wisely up to that. So now look, they're, like I said, a fool and their money are soon parted and, there's some very creative things that are being done. And some of them are being done, as I said, in the name of God. Gullible Christians, I'll put it that way, uh, sometimes buy into these things. Now, one of the ones that I recently heard of is actually, I've got a short video to play you now where there's a special holy ice blocks that God uses to melt your problems away for the right price. So we'll just watch this clip. Greetings in the name of the mighty Lord. I am Pastor Tenjiwe of the Church of Believers with a lot of extra cash. And I come to you today to share with you the miracle that the Lord Almighty has chosen to give me the power of. Today, I will share with you how you can wash all your problems away, how you can melt all your problems away. For only a hundred rands, you can come to my church and get this frozen water. This water is frozen by the power of the Lord, the power that the Lord has given me. All I have to do is pray and pray for the water. And as I pray for the water, Sharabosh! It freezes. And then when you give me the hundred pounds or the hundred rands or the hundred dollars or the hundred euros, depending which country you come from, but the Lord Almighty will not accept any Zimbabwean dollars, Nigerian Nairas or any other African currencies that do not have any value. But this water, what happens is you take it home with you. And let me show you. You put it next to your bed before you go to sleep. And then you pray. You tell the Lord all the problems that you want him to melt away. And when you get up in the morning, when you wake up in the morning, you'll see that the water would have melted. All your, as the water melts, your problems are melting away. So if you come to my church and you pay me this money, you are not wasting your money. Because this money will help you. If you have debts, you tell the Lord, melt my debts. Your debts will melt away. 
If you have problems in your love life, you tell the Lord, melt the problems in my marriage or in my love life. The Lord will melt it away. There is not one person who has come back complaining that the water did not melt. So the water is guaranteed to melt away. And as it melts away, it melts all your problems. For more information, come to my church on Sunday. Pastor Tenjiwe, please don't come to my church unless you have money. Because we are the church of believers with a lot of extra cash. Praise be to God. It's very creative, isn't it? The church of believers with a lot of extra cash. Now, just to be clear, that was a send-up. That lady is actually a professional comedian in South Africa. Uh, but what she's done is, is done a parody of, of some of the stuff that goes around in some churches where, where you've got people up the front giving themselves all sorts of titles, calling themselves apostles or prophets or all sorts of things and saying, yep, come, bring me the money and God will do things. Um, and this is what Paul is talking about in, in 1 Timothy, in chapter 6, when he talks to Timothy. He's like, Some people put on a big show of godliness to make lots of money. So they sound godly. They use all the phrases and language of the Bible. Uh, but but it's, it's simply to make themselves wealthy. Now, just a bit of embarrassing self-disclosure. As an enthusiastic, uh, naive uh, full and their money soon parted type of young adult, I, I bought into some of this in the sense that I got hooked by a couple of uh, what we would call uh, prosperity teachings in the Christian church and listening to preachers that promised that God would multiply the money I sent to them, that the Bible guaranteed it, I sent them money and eagerly waited for the hundredfold increase that was coming my way. The good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God was going to pour into my lap. So I was just absolutely confident about that. And uh, then I became disappointed. I became disappointed with God when the money didn't come. Because the person had used all the Bible verses. So I didn't question the person, this preacher... I got disappointed with God because God failed. Now, that wasn't a complete waste of money, actually. Sometimes you learn valuable lessons through things that cost you. I've learned other costly lessons through mistakes that I've made. Because that experience set me on a journey to actually learn and discover what does the Bible say about money? What does God say? What's the character of God like? Um, because... Because that experience and some other ones where I sat and in other churches and went to conferences, Christian conferences, and when it came time for the offering, which was typically a 20-minute presentation to take up the offering, I just felt like I was being manipulated. My emotions were being played on. I was basically getting the message that if I didn't put pretty much the entire contents because people carried cash in those days. Uh, not that I had much cash, but even the little bit I had. If I didn't put that in the offering, I was somehow going to miss out on what God had planned for me. And my life was going to go down the toilet, essentially. And some of you may have sat in meetings like that. 
It's one of the reasons why we teach a series on money like we do, and we have, have done for 20-odd years, an annual series on money, and we say very little about offerings during the services. Has anyone noticed that? In fact, these days we don't even pass anything around. And a couple of years ago we were visited by some people from another church and they said they were waiting for the bucket to be passed around and they didn't come and so don't we do that? And I just went, yeah, no, we stopped doing that because <laughs> most people give online. Um, so but what that did was those, those negative experiences, they caused me to go, I need to find out for myself. I need to read the Bible. I need to read from Genesis to Revelation. I need to see what God says all the way through about how his people should operate in terms of the financial realm. And and that's the thing I want to encourage you to do today. On every topic, one of the things that, that I find personally discouraging is talking to Christians who are faithful at going to church and unfaithful at studying the scriptures for themselves and being Bereans, which is Acts 17, where people eagerly receive the word of God that's taught from the front and then go home and examine the scriptures to see if what they were taught is really true. So so I'm finding that um, people, some Christians today are genuine in their faith, but very immature in terms of their knowledge of the scriptures. And so they're being led astray with all sorts of crazy ideas, including the desires of their own heart, because they don't ask the question, what does God say about this? And go and find out from the scriptures. The tools available to us today online are phenomenal And so let me just give a warning to us and to all who are watching on the web stream. There's an accountability that comes to us that will be different to the accountability in terms of access to scriptures. So we've read from Paul's letter to Timothy, which Paul wrote when Timothy was pastor of Ephesus Church. And what would have happened, there would have been one copy probably of that letter originally that arrived in Ephesus and all the church would have gathered with eagerness to even hear what Paul's written to Timothy. They didn't all have their own copy of it to go home and study. If they were going to have their own copy, they would have to write it on their own scroll by hand. The power that you have in your smartphone to access the scriptures and to search out every reference on every single topic, whatever that topic is, is phenomenal. I know many of you already do this. But just to say, it's something that's so important that we have to keep doing over and over and over again. So, study the scriptures. One of the things that uh, Paul had puts in this uh, text this morning is uh, from, he's got the phrase, until the Lord Jesus comes again. There's, there's a word, and it's an old word, but it means appearing. And the word is parousia, and we don't often use it today. We don't talk about the parousia. But it's, the, it's, to, it's a technical word that's used for the appearing of the Lord. And typically, it's speaking of the, the return of Jesus. When he returns, 
to govern the whole earth. That he will appear. He, he will appear uh, in the earth. It will be his arrival, his presence that we speak of. And Paul, all the time in his letters, you'll find references to the people about the return of Jesus. Like, remember the return of Jesus. When we remember that he is coming and he will judge the living and the dead, uh, as the book of Acts and other places tells us, we live with a very different perspective than if there's no accountability for our behaviour. And some of those preachers that I mentioned earlier that are taking advantage of people, I pray for them because I fear for them about the conversation that Jesus will have for them. Because he will have, we will all have a self-evaluation interview with Jesus. And, and none of us will be compared to any other people. It will be just where Jesus says, I entrusted you with this. You, you weren't faithful. It's a sobering but important reality. So this is how Paul put it in 1 Timothy 6, 14 to 16. Obey this command without wavering from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And so we bring every thought under him. One of the ways we can spot a prosperity perversion is what I'll call it is to ask questions about who's at the centre of this. When you hear, how do you evaluate whether it's a scam or not? Who's at the centre of this? doesn't matter how many Bible verses are used or, or other spiritual jargon is used. Is it God at the centre of this or is it me at the centre of this? Is this putting God as, as my personal vending machine, that I can walk up to the vending machine and go, well, here's my offering God, put it in, and then I'll pick X, Y, Z, and you know, out comes what I'm looking for. Am, is God a vending machine? Uh, I, you know, am I being manipulated by this person? Or am I being seduced by the desires of my own heart which 1 Timothy 6 says Paul warns us about the love of money is the root of all evil and how in the in the people's desire to get rich they've been led astray they've been led away from the faith so there's a very sober warning here about what can happen for us in verses 17 and 18 Paul says to Timothy teach those who are rich in this world Okay, now let's go back to the global perspective. Who's rich in this world, in this room? We all are. Way more than those people had back in when Paul wrote to Timothy. Teach those who are rich in this world, as he say, teach them not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. That's a great piece of counsel. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works 
and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. That's a very interesting phrase if you look at that. So Paul is saying, being generous to those in need, being ready to share with others, which is the poor tithe component of the biblical pattern. And by doing that, you're storing up treasures as a good foundation for the future and for the experience of true life. And so if I said to you, who wants to experience true life? Every hand's going to go up, isn't it? Who wants true life? Yeah. Well, here's like, okay, this is what you do. Be generous. Don't trust in money. Trust in God. Demonstrate that you trust in God by following the biblical pattern and organizing your finances accordingly, whether it's little or much. I remember a conversation um, probably almost 20 years ago now with a young man that was part of our church at that time. Uh, Just beginning on his journey and he was uh, earning some money and... um, one day he came up to the office and we were having a little chat and uh, he was saying to me that you know, he really wants to make a lot of money for God. And he, and he was very genuine about that. He wanted to make a lot of money so that he could give a lot of money. And I said, that is fantastic. How much of what you're making now are you giving to God? Because I said, if you're not already following and cultivating this in your heart now with the small amount you've got, you won't do it when you've got a lot. He took that to heart. And he began to follow and honour God with his money from the little bit that he had at that point. And I think he has gone on and made money. And using it for God's purposes. So we need to remember. We we always want to come back to Christ. As Paul brings it back to Christ. So any teaching and any preaching about Christian prosperity. Because there is such a thing as Christian prosperity. Or true life if you like. Or the abundant life that Jesus offers us. But anything that's not consistent with the life of Christ. Isn't biblical and isn't true, even if someone's using Bible verses to explain it. Because we follow a humble, crucified, generous, unselfish king, and we become part of his family, and we learn the values of his family and how he does it. Coming back to 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, People who long to be rich fall into temptation." And are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And remember, who's he writing to? He's writing to Timothy. And who's Timothy? Timothy's pastoring the church in Ephesus. So he's writing to a Christian pastor for a message for Christian people. He's not writing to non-Christians. The love of he goes on, it plunges them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Folks, I've seen some people do this. I've seen Christian people pursue money 
longing to be rich, longing to have more than what they've got, then they've been trapped they've, and they've ended up wandering from pure and simple devotion to Jesus and they've ended up piercing themselves with many sorrows, including destruction of family and relationships everywhere. So this is a sober warning and a sober word. But Paul says, here's what you do, Timothy. Timothy, you're a man of God. And as a man of God, you run from all these evil things. We would say, you are a woman of God. And as a woman of God, you run from all these evil things. And where do you run to? Because it's always important to know where you've got to run. It's not just running away from, it's running to. What, what does Paul say Timothy should run to? The answer is in verse 11. He says, pursue righteousness. In other words, God's way of living. A godly life along with faith, love, perseverance and gentleness. This is what you pursue. You run away from these things that seduce you and are going to lead you from the faith and you pursue righteousness. You pursue the knowledge of God. You pursue the study of the scriptures. You find out how to please the Lord and you develop a life of faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. Timothy, that's what you give yourself to. That's what we give ourselves to. And Paul asks a question about what is contentment. And he says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 that that great wealth is godliness with contentment. Isn't that, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? You're not going to find that um, in, in any other place than the scriptures. The greatest wealth is godliness, knowing God, loving God, obeying God with contentment. Contentment is an amazing thing because it just brings peace to our hearts. So great wealth is godliness with contentment. So sitting here this morning, listening to me, see it doesn't matter how much money you've got or not got, whether you're on a pension or whether you're, you're on a, a Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or someone of that, if you've, got, if you've got godliness with contentment, you've got great wealth. Probably one of the most, the most powerful and most recent examples of a person who had godliness with contentment, who pursued righteousness in a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance and gentleness, who chose a good reputation as Proverbs 22.1 says, is, would be Mother Teresa, who lived a public life, was ushered into some of the most powerful offices on the planet and spoke with an unwavering conviction, declaring the truth about who God was, speaking prophetically to power, prophetic truth to power. I remember when she spoke to one of the presidents of the United States and was, was, uh, it was a a breakfast with all of these high-powered people in Washington, D.C., and she just very plainly and simply told them, 
legalizing abortion kills babies and is wrong and God is not happy with this. And they took it from her. Didn't change any of the laws. And they'll be accountable for that. But in terms of someone who chose a good reputation over wealth. And so when it comes down to it, it's like, what do, you, what, what do you want your reputation to be? You think about, what do you want to be known for? Money-hungry person in your dealings with people, always looking to, to get more? Or do you want this reputation of godliness as a man or woman of God that, that pursues godliness with contentment, that pursues righteousness, that pursues a godly life? In all these ways. There's such wisdom in 1 Timothy 6. And I commend you to read it again in your own time. And as we close this morning. I just want to say again. True wealth is godliness with contentment. Remembering that we're fixing our hope on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until he comes again. We're living in this place. And we understand that everything we have belongs to him. There's an accountability that comes from this. We don't want to be... Uh, led astray, seduced by either our, our, our own desire for more or someone else's manipulation of us and the love of money or any of these things. So we want to be people who are pursuing true wealth in Christ for God's purposes so that we can do good works, be generous, all these kind of things. And so I want to ask you this morning, because this is something that you kind of need to ask yourself on a, on a regular basis. And again, this is irrespective of what your socioeconomic reality is. Are you wandering away from Christ in the pursuit of money? It's important to ask ourselves that question because it's, it's subtle. Is my trust and hope in Christ or is it in money? is another important thing. One of the ways that you can test that theory and you can find out where you're trusting is by what you're able to give away. Someone once said to me, if you can't, if you can't give something away, it owns you, you don't own it. And that was a sobering thing. So, oh. so I've kind of lived with that from my, with my you know, possessions, if you like. If I can't give it away, there are some things I won't give away because they're sentimental to me, they're so important. But that willingness to hold things with a very open hand and say, Lord, this is, this is all received from you, so it can be released and given. I just, you know, I prefer to be a pipe than a dam. Prefer if things flow through me, then I just bottleneck everything and restrict the flow. I was pastoring in a, in a church in the Baptist churches of WA for uh, the 10 years or so before we began New Life Church. And um, one of the pastors that I knew within the Baptist denomination at that time, we were chatting about money. Julie and I had two small children, one, one income, uh, which was mine, my enormous pastor's, associate pastor's salary um, for us to live on. Um, and we were, so I was chatting with this uh, fellow pastor and um, we were talking about faith and trusting God and Somehow it got onto bank balances and things and 
we in those days Julie and I were, we were faithfully giving we were faithfully tithing we were living from uh, paycheck to paycheck uh, we did not even have capacity to save any money at that time and so uh, we typically would be down to the last $20 literally in our bank account on the day before pay came in and choice was we take that out because we need it anyway my my pastor friend went wow my wife freaks out if we've got less than seven thousand in our account and and I just went like we had never ever had seven thousand dollars in our bank account ever since we before we got married or, or since in those days why I'm sharing that with you is because that was that what he was saying to me because we talked about it a bit more if their bank balance dropped below that figure his wife had a crisis I'm so thankful for my wife that <laughs> if we dropped below $20 she didn't have a crisis I had one she <laughs> She, she, Julie would just say, God's taken care of us. He, he's been faithful. He'll, it'll work out. And he, God has been so faithful to us. And he has always provided everything we've needed. But one of the ways you can find out if, you, if, you, if your trust is in money is, and I'm not suggesting you lose it all or give it all away to find this out, but what, you, can, you can measure this is what I'm saying. True wealth is godliness with contentment. The key thing God's always after is our hearts. And there's a process that God used to, to bring my heart, more particularly than Julie's heart, into alignment with him on financial matters before we were entrusted with, with increased finances. And the issue is always going to be in your heart. And once you've won the battle in that place of Lord it all belongs to you not me and we will be a pipe and if you say give we will give once that battle is won you've entered into this place of godliness with contentment and you find you're one of the well you are wealthy 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 and you look and long for the return of Jesus so I'll finish today by saying pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance and gentleness. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, nothing is hidden from you. You know our hearts. You know where each of us are at in terms of our heart and our devotion to you. You keep growing our hearts in wholehearted love and obedience and worship to you. Continue to make us a people who are free from the love of money. Father, I ask you for any who are listening this morning who have wandered away in the pursuit of riches, in the pursuit of more money. Lord, that you would, you would bring conviction to their hearts. 
and you would turn them to pursue godliness with contentment. And as we think of this global perspective, God, as we think of the reality that from a global perspective, Lord, we, we are rich. Help us not to be proud and not to trust in the money that we do have, but to trust in you. Help us to continue to use the money that you have entrusted us with to do good works and cultivate generosity. Honouring you, following the biblical pattern that you've laid out. And instead of thinking about what's the minimum we could give, God, will you enlarge our hearts to say, you can have it all, Lord. Grow us in the grace of generosity, Lord. It's something you've been doing with us as a people. You've been growing us as a generous people. Keep doing that so that so that people will be astounded by what overflows out of this company of people called New Life Church. cause our generosity to overflow in thanksgiving as money is sent from this place to different ministries around the world and helping to make disciples around the world Lord let it overflow let it overflow causing a great harvest Lord every place every place where we send it Cause a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of godliness. So, Lord, we, I'm asking you, God, that you will continue to grow us in the grace of generosity as our response to the amazing grace that we have received from you. We are recipients of your amazing grace, God. It's been lavished on us. You've done great things, Lord. Help us to truly trust you more and more as we look and we long for your return, Jesus. I pray. Amen.